God. We're going to close our time with five questions. Those questions will be, are you rich? Will you seek first the kingdom of God? Are you born again? Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? And finally, are you a child of the king of the kingdom of God? David Adams, Sam's dad, uh, will, for the remainder of my lifetime, be the epitome of a preacher-proclaimer of the gospel. We need to be settled on what the gospel is. It's that Greek word that starts with good and ends with message. So the good message is the gospel. I've entitled what we look at today, The Glorious Gospel of the Blessed God, a phrase that's used in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. And as we look at the gospel, as we prepared for David's memorial service, we took a look at the 30 verses that fill in the blank. The gospel of blank. What comes to your mind offhand about what you would fill in the blank with? The gospel of blank. There are 12 categories of the blank. The gospel is a noun, and when you follow a preposition like of with a word, it also is a noun, and a noun is a person, place, or thing. I knew that some of you English buffs would just love the recall of that. Six of these are a person. The gospel of a person. Six categories. Two of them are a place. The gospel of this place. And four of them are the gospel of a thing. A person, place, or thing. The gospel of a person. Six of those the gospel of a place, two of those, and gospel of a thing. There are four of those. The person, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, the gospel of his Son, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the glorious gospel of the blessed God. It's not just any old gospel. It's not just any good message. In fact, there are pseudo-gospels. There are fake gospels. Scripture warns against us being caught up 
with another gospel. The great news of God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed God. That's the gospel. It's also listed as two places. The first of those is simply the kingdom. The second of those builds on that, and it's the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom of God. What do we know about the kingdom of God? Again, I know my own personal study has looked at the word gospel and the proclaiming of it. Uh, but only recently have I really been zeroing in on the kingdom of God. And I'd like to do that with you this morning. There are also four things that fill in the blank, the gospel of. The gospel of the grace of God. That's good news, isn't it? The gospel of peace. Not that our world could use any of that. Not that any of your relationships could use any of that. Not that any of your minds could use some peace. There's great news about the peace. The gospel of peace. The gospel of the glory of Christ. And the gospel of our salvation. The word of God says that beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I hold before you now the vacated shoes of David Adams. They look cheap. He was not rich. He's my hero. When I grow up, I'd like to be like your dad. Nobody can fill those shoes. When I think of gospel, I'll think of my hero, David Adams. But today we look at not just any old gospel or another gospel. We look at the gospel of the kingdom of God. Seventy times that phrase is used. In Matthew 6, do you recall? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In a prayer context, and all these things will be added to you. I've had to examine, is that my first look? Is that my first search? Is that what drives me? Is that what is behind my purpose? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. A kingdom has a king. A kingdom has a realm. It has a citizenship. It has children. The word of God says... From the lips of Jesus himself. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's here. He also said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for what? A rich man. 
to enter the kingdom of God. We're examining the question, are you rich this morning? What's your concept of rich? I was really frustrated with my little Google search. First of all, there doesn't seem to be much expertise on who's rich and who isn't. There's a lot of stuff out there. On September 13th of 2012, the U.S. News reported that the Census Bureau announced Wednesday that the median household income in the United States had fallen to $50,054, the lowest since 1996 and down 1.5% from 2010. Every year, you declare your annual income. Are you above or below that? That's the average. A literary source called the Financial Samurai identifies $500,000 as the gauge for being rich. If you're below that, then you're middle income or low income in poverty. We just did the wedding of Chase Wickard and Hannah Hostetler, and they made a vow that they would be faithful to each other for richer, for poorer. I discovered that 85 people own almost half the world's wealth. They would be rich. The average per capita income for Qatar is $131,758. If you use the World Bank data instead of 53,000 or 50,000, you come up with 53,000 as the per capita income of the United States. Early in my ministry, I got to wondering about church giving and the idea of do we, should we, can we give 10% of our net? And so I did the dastardly one time as I looked my congregation over and I went, I think they must earn about mm, this. And I think they earn about this and I know what I make. And I think they earn about this and I think your income is probably about this. And so then I took 5% of that and I confess I did that recently enough that it was at Monument Bible Church where I did this. And in my humble estimation and inaccuracy, I estimated that what I thought our people made and came, if they were to give 5% of their net to Monument Bible Church, we would have to figure out what to do with three times the amount of what our annual budget is. And so I got cynical and I got critical. And I'm asking the question, am I rich? Half of the 185 countries that World Bank data lists have an annual per capita income of under $11,000 over half the countries. And over two-thirds of the countries are under 20,000. There are some tests for wealth. One of those is, do you own a computer? I'll not have a show of hands. 
but I ask you the question, are you rich? Do you own a computer? Do you own more than one computer? I mean, I, I look at my life and I think, boy, I need to have an iPad. I mean, that's, that's a need, right? Another test is, do you have a cell phone? And another test is, do you have a car? Those who own a computer, a cell phone, and a car are considered by 80% of the world population to be rich. Only 20% of the world population is classified as rich. In 2007, 80% of the world population lived on less than $10 per day. Let's have that make some sense. If you were given for the next 365 days $10 a day, where would it go? Would 50 cents go to the Lord? Would your auto require any of that $10? Gas, Arby's, a loaf of bread, underwear, Husker tickets, text minutes, paint for the living room, the water bill, a bottle of water. I listened to all kinds of complaints about the price of gas per gallon. Do you know what water costs per gallon if you buy bottled water? Somewhere in the 7 to $8 per gallon range. $10 a day, where would you spend it? This is not designed to build guilt trips. It's not designed to do anything but deal with the question, are you rich? Mixed reports on Warren Buffett. He's either the third or the fourth wealthiest individual in the world. His net worth, the good news, somewhere between 47 and 67 billion. Do you relate to that number? The sad news is that as of Friday, his net worth has decreased by over $425 million. Do you relate to that? He's described as the most successful investor of the 20th century. He is said to have bought his first share at the age of 11. He now regrets that he started so late. He's also described as a philanthropist. I meditated on the word philanthropist in contrast of a widow who had but two mites and she gave them all. Jack Reinmuth shared with us one time that if a million dollars were distributed evenly amongst ten people in a very short time, Eight of them would be broke. Two of them would be rich. 
And if I were to question that, all I had to do was study the recent lottery winners to go like, must be some truth to that. Are you rich? These 70 references to the kingdom of God say things like, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I don't believe he's teaching against being rich. But he is teaching how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that so difficult? In a big debate, Jesus is asking the question, which of the two did the will of the Father? They said, him the first did. Jesus said, assuredly I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Powerful verse from the word of God is found in the first chapter of Mark, verse 14. Now after John, that's the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God is to be preached. It's to be proclaimed. In the fourth chapter of Mark, Jesus is preaching and saying, you know, to you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Later on, he says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. I'd like to have us consider that, Mark chapter 4. Some powerful stuff that speaks the truth. And starts where we are with stuff that we get to take us so that we can understand something like the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 4, verse 11 says, Unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto those that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive. And know ye not this parable, he goes on. But when he gets to verse 26, He teaches this parable of the seed. And he says, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. My lawn needed seeded once. And I remember going out and buying one of those plastic jobbies where you pour the seed in it and it's got a belt that goes around your waist and a crank. So I scattered seed. They call it broadcasting. So a man casts the seed into the ground and he should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knows not how. Does anybody in this room know how seed springs up and grows? 
one of my great seed conversations was with Alan Doman. And uh, he taught me that there are phases of the growth of corn. And if, if this phase is interrupted by hail or heat or wind, then the outcome is going to be negative. And if you get past that phase and get to this phase, then the likelihood is much greater. But my friend Alan does not know how it happens. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. And when the fruit is brought forth, Immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is a metaphor for Jesus when he comes in and for the kingdom of God. And then he goes to another parable right after that in verse 30. And he said, where unto shall we liken the kingdom of God? That's a good question. That's what we're doing this morning. What are we going to liken the kingdom of God to? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, the kingdom of God is, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. When Precious and I were granted the time to be in Bethany by the empty tomb of Lazarus, there was a mustard tree. And the guide took out the seed pod and had a palm full of what looked like pepper. The seeds, very small. Hope you have that experience in October. Don't be afraid to go, incidentally. Strickers. Um, The tourist is the safest person there. Mustard seed. Look what happens with mustard seed. It's sown in the earth less than all the seeds. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air, the cedar wax wings, the robins, the doves, the wrens, lodge under the shadow of it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Do we get that? Then maybe we're capable of getting a grip on what the kingdom of God is and what it's like. As we read and studied with our pastor last week, Jesus taught that there were some who would not taste death till they saw the kingdom of God. And I believe next week he'll preach to us the follow-up to that about the transfiguration, probably what was being referred to. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. You know what? I read this and I conclude, it must be hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. It must be difficult. It must be strenuous. It must be costly. It must be provocative. 
He also said, I'll no longer drink of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Mark 15, Joseph of Arimathea. Remember who he was and what he did? He was the rich guy with the sepulcher. He was a prominent Sanhedrin member. And it says of him that he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And so he mustered up the courage and went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like to have wealth that would own a sepulcher that you'd go public about and say, I'd like to have the body of Jesus. He was waiting for the kingdom of God, it said. Jesus says, I must preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is to be proclaimed. At a boy, David Adams. For this purpose I have been sent. And he says, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This powerful truth. I'd like you to turn to to Luke chapter 7. And it deals here with the greatest prophet that ever lived. Do you know who that is? In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus speaking, and he says, as he identifies that greatest prophet that ever lived, he says, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than who? John the Baptist. I think Christians ought to be able to know the answer to that question. And then he goes on to say, but he who is least, what's the next phrase? In the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. What on earth is going on there? What made John the Baptist so great? God's say-so. His faithfulness. He was a wilderness dweller. He was a forerunner. He was an, if not the, Elijah to come. A reed blowing in the wind, surviving on locusts and honey, and having one dynamite message to the Pharisees, you white-washed sepulchers, the greatest of the prophets, John the Baptist. He who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Who is least in the kingdom of God? Paul thought he was the chief of the sinners, the persecutor of the bride of Christ. You feel like competing for this position of being the least in the kingdom of God? Who in the room is least in the kingdom of God? These are provocative questions. 
because all, every, who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because of what the kingdom of God is and how you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. This gospel of the kingdom of God is preached and brought. And Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Multitudes followed Jesus and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And the command, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Here's something that uh, GPS farmers have a good handle on. Jesus says in Luke 9, we're going to be hearing that in a few weeks from Pastor Wayne. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus speaks and says, No one, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, first of all, if you're plowing today, your hands are off. You just turn the computer and the GPS on and hum or whistle, sing or pray or read or study or something. Just be awake when you come to the end of the row. And one of the results of this kind of looking ahead, eyes fixed, plowing is that your rows are straight. It used to be fun to ride with my Uncle Gene, the dairy farmer. As we drive by this guy's cornfield and this guy's cornfield and this guy's cornfield, some of the rows weren't so straight. And if they weren't, Uncle Gene had something to say about that farmer. Today, there's no excuse. Every farmer should have a straight row. But there's a truth going down here. If you're in charge of plowing, you know, like, preaching the kingdom of God, if you're in charge of plowing and you look back, the teaching is you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Do your job well. Two and four, the glory of God. How are you coming, folks? We all deal with this. Is my hand to the plow? Am I looking straight ahead? Who cares about being fit for the kingdom of God is a question that gets raised. You? Me? Our neighbor? Jesus was getting pestered by people like Ailey Cooper who in the middle of a service would just throw their hands up and go, Ah! I love that. 
Don't you? That disturb anybody here? Shame on you if it did. Out of the mouths of babes, God has perfected praise. And Jesus had something to say about how we treat children. One of the things I've just loved about our church family, year after year after year, the sounds of our babes. Because they don't stay babes. Because they teach us how to praise. They teach us how to believe. They teach us what faith is. And Jesus said, let them come to me. Don't forbid them. You're probably tired of me giving the illustration of the cranky old church lady that approached the pastor and said, they got three kids sitting in front of me and they're chewing gum and nobody should chew gum in the sanctuary. They're slapping it on the bottom. That's wrong. And the pastor said, that is wrong. But let's be very clear about something. It's the sanctuaries that are chewing the gum. Let them come to me. Don't forbid them. For of such is the what? The kingdom of God. Who does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. The kingdom of God is to be entered. It's a place. The gospel of the noun, the gospel of the place, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's to be proclaimed. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter. In Romans, we have some mighty fine definitions. Chapter 14 tells us in verse 17 that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But here's what it is. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to give an accurate answer to what the kingdom of God is, we who have the word of God so available ought to be able to respond with the truth of the answer of what it is. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The question, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is inherited. Who is the king? Jesus is the king. All hail King Jesus. What I have written on the top of that cross, I have written. King. King of kings and Lord of lords. Glory. Hallelujah. Jesus is the king. 
and the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes into the kingdom of God but by him. Jesus is the king. And the kingdom of God is inherited. And we, if we are in Christ Jesus, we are heirs. We are joint heirs with Christ. What he inherits, the least in the kingdom of God inherits. The word of God is not very politically correct. It teaches that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It teaches that those who practice envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, homosexuality, immorality, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians identifies that there are fellow workers for the kingdom of God. That's what I think Chris and Mikal are. They've been fellow workers. I want to publicly say Chris has been for me one of the most flexible, accommodating, selfless servants I've ever been around. I commend your Savior for that. I commend your king for that. And I draw attention to that. Five questions. Are you rich? Depends on who you ask. Computer, cell phone, car. More than 80% of the world population? I think your answer probably should be, yeah, I am. And the haunting thing of that truth is, it's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because of all their preoccupations. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. One of the questions... I've wrestled with my entire Christian life is will I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? How about you? You wrestle with that? Are you born again? We remember John chapter 3 primarily for verse 16. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Context is Nicodemus. You must be born again. And in chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answers and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again is non-optional to inherit the kingdom of God. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? 
This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Are you a child of King Jesus? Father, thank you for your instruction on your glorious gospel of you, the blessed one. We acknowledge you. We praise you. I come to you with two people right now. You know them well. The person in this room who is your child, who is born again, who has received your son Jesus personally as their Savior. And I come to you with the person who has not and needs to. With that person, I'd like to pray now. God, that's me. I've listened to the truth of this great news of your kingdom. And I fear I'm not your child. Right here, right now, I open my heart's door and I invite you in. I say yes to you. I confess to you my sin, my sinfulness. I welcome your capacity to declare me to be righteous. Lord, from now on, it's my intent to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And possibly, Lord, somebody has just had that encounter with you, a for real deal, way down in the depths of their heart. They got it this morning. They leave here born again. We'd like to praise and thank you for that. Give them the courage to identify themselves. Hey, you know that prayer at the end where we prayed to receive Christ as Savior? I did that. Lord, you know my heart as we were singing I come to the garden alone. I recall, surely, at the close of a worship service in a little tiny chapel in the cornfields of northern Wisconsin, who said during the singing of that song, I settled it. I opened my heart's door and received Jesus. And he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. And the joy I have None other has ever known. Receive our worship, we who know you, humbly, gratefully. Help us, Lord, to use our wealth to your glory. If you want us to give more, we will. You call the amount, you call the place. We say yes. I close this time as I come to you with a very precious church family whom I believe you are identifying as the ones who are least in the kingdom of God. Here we are. Greater than John the Baptist. What a work you are and have done. Receive our praise, King Jesus.
Amen.